Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Heavenly Father, we've been thinking right through our meeting of the return of the Lord Jesus. We've been singing of that just now and we do indeed pray that in the light of his coming back, when we will meet him face to face, you would help us now to be sure to keep firm in his grace, living for you day by day, And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please just sit down. Well, it is exceptionally good to see you. It's always good to see you uh, week by week. But uh, what an effort you've uh, uh, put in to be here. And uh, it is indeed a great encouragement, uh, as Ben has already said, uh, to us to see you here. And I trust uh, it will feel very worthwhile by the end of it. Um, uh, Do turn in your Bibles, please, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, page 1188, the second of the two readings that David read for us, uh, 1188. And uh, we're working through uh, the book of uh, 1 Thessalonians. Some of you visiting us from other churches, you're very, very welcome uh, this morning. And uh, you'll see that we're getting very near to the end of this series When someone dies, there's all sorts of questions that people ask me. Uh, One of the big questions I get asked is, will I see them again? Uh, In fact, that's one of those questions that I'm asked rarely, but it's often in people's minds. I have been asked it, will I see them again? It is, of course, a deeply personal and pastoral question, but it's also a deeply theological question. And uh, it might well have been a question on the lips of the Christians in first century Thessalonica. And so last week, uh, if you were here, we read words that were deeply reassuring. Indeed, I was so encouraged that uh, a good number of you were in touch with me last week to say what a wonderful encouragement it was last week that we saw at the end of chapter 4 and uh, verses 13 to 18 that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we can have great certainty that Christian loved ones are safe with Christ now. And they will return with him when he comes back in all his glory. So will I see them again? Now you would think that having heard that, that's the end of the uh, question. It's been answered. But of course there is one more thing to add. Will I see them again? Well, depends on whether I keep going as a Christian to the end of my life. And that is what this section is all about. It's an encouragement for us to keep going as Christians in the light of the return of Christ. Look at chapter 5, verse 11. It interestingly ends exactly the way uh, the, uh, the last section ended. Chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another. Encourage one another to keep living for Jesus. That's what this section's about. Not to give up, not to drift off, not to buckle under the pressure of life. And very especially, we're to encourage one another to live in the light of Jesus' return, to keep going for Christ until Christ comes back. And uh, of course, we need that encouragement. We need to encourage one another, build each other up, as it says there in verse 11, because uh, being a Christian is not a walk in the park, especially when we're suffering for being Christians, as the Thessalonians were. Uh, When that's happening, it's hard not knowing when Jesus will return. It's hard not knowing how long I will have to suffer for him. Just think about this. Consider this. If we knew Jesus was about to return next week, uh, next month, or even next year, it would help us to keep going, wouldn't it? You could tick the days down. Only another 
X days until he comes. I can keep going through the hard times. Well, we've seen through this letter how the Thessalonians were enduring severe suffering just because they were Christian. And do you remember that? We saw it in chapter 1, verse 6. Exactly that phrase, severe suffering. We saw it in chapter 2, verse 14. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think I've had to endure real uh, severe suffering for being a Christian. For sure, I've had friends who think I'm a bit odd. I think that's to do with me being a Christian, but who knows? Uh, And when I worked in the newspaper industry and I refused to do one or two things that I believe were unethical, uh, some very uncomfortable meetings with my boss followed. At one point, he came very close to threatening me with dismissal, and he certainly made it clear that I wouldn't be getting promoted unless I uh, did the things he was asking me to do, these what I thought were unethical things. I never mind in the newspaper business, in this job as a vicar, I've had people giving me a hard time for what I believe. And that has happened both from unbelievers and indeed from people who are part of the wider church. At times, yes, I felt under pressure, lost sleep over it, but I can't say I've had severe suffering or been persecuted. Not like the Thessalonians or like Christians throughout the history of the world and indeed around the world today. At our last church family prayer meeting, we were praying for the persecuted church in Egypt. We were hearing how Christians have been attacked and killed in this last year, how churches are targeted. Now look, I've not suffered like that yet. And yet, when life is tough for me, maybe you've done this, I've prayed those words, almost the last words in the book of Revelation, come Lord Jesus. I've longed for Jesus to return, to wrap up history as we know it, to pull all, put, put all wrongs right and to usher in the glorious heavenly new creation when all struggles of this life will be over. I wonder if you've ever done that when it's been tough. Now look, the point is this. If I felt that and I barely know what it is to suffer for Jesus, how much more when you are really suffering for Christ? And if you are really suffering for Christ, what a difference it would make to help you keep enduring. If you knew he would return next week, next month, or even next year, it would give you an end point to look forward to. You could count down the days. I'll keep going because I know he's going to return. But we don't know when he's going to return. That is Paul's point at the beginning of chapter 5. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. You don't know when he's going to return, so how do we keep going? That's what this passage is about. There are two big images, big illustrations, if you like, in this passage about Jesus' return. The first one is there in verse 2. He'll come like a thief in the night. And the point is simple. We don't know when the burglar will come. Because a thief doesn't send you a text in advance announcing his arrival. I don't need to tell you that. I ordered something this week from eBay. And since I placed my order, I had emails telling me first when the package will be dispatched, then that my package has been dispatched, then telling me I can track the whereabouts of my parcel, and next week I will get a text telling me that my package will be delivered by courier between 12 and 1 on whatever day it is arriving. Now, I don't need to tell you that thieves don't operate that way. They don't announce the time that they are coming. They come at night, under cover of darkness. The unexpected surprise element is precisely why they succeed. You go to to bed not suspecting a thing, wake up in the morning to find your house has been turned over. In the same way, we don't know when Jesus will return. Now, please don't push the analogy too far. Jesus is not a thief 
in that there's nothing immoral about Jesus returning. The point is simple. We don't know when Jesus will come any more than we know when, that, uh, when a thief will come because he doesn't announce it on social media or anywhere else for that matter. So let's not speculate about the time. We just don't know. That's verse 1. We don't know when Jesus will return. And what's more, most people, most people don't believe that he will come back at all. Look at verse 3. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly. That's the vast majority of people in Britain today. And come to that, the vast majority of people in this world, down through the centuries and in the world today, don't believe that Jesus is going to come back one day. It's always been the case. But today, especially in this post-Christian era, I've been struck this week, and I guess many of you have as well, by the amount of people who were so full of praise for Stephen Hawking following his death. Now, there is no question that he was a quite brilliant man. And as we thought last week, death is a terrible, terrible thing. We should always mourn. We should mourn the death of Stephen Hawking because we should mourn the death of anyone. Death is terrible. But look, Stephen Hawking was very definite that there is no God. That everything in the universe can be explained by science. And so if you and I talk about Jesus coming back to judge the world, coming down from heaven in power and great glory, as we read in our first reading, speak like that and your mates will think you're off your head. Because to talk like that is to talk about the miraculous. And we've been told by people who admire Stephen Hawking and him that miracles don't happen. Look, frankly, your unbelieving friends might already think you're off your head being a Christian, but start to speak about Jesus returning through the clouds and there'll be no doubt in their minds that you're a bit cuckoo. Unbelievers don't believe that Jesus will return. Of course they don't, they're unbelievers. And so they say, verse 3, peace and safety. Because largely living in 21st century Britain feels peaceful and safe, doesn't it? Oh, for sure. Events in these... Last few weeks have told us that nowhere is completely safe. It seems even a trip to ZZ's restaurant can have a result in having a nerve agent slipped into your food. But that's not going to happen to me. I'm not a double agent. But no, you could easily find yourself helping out a couple who are sort of slumped over a park bench and before you know it, exposed to Novichok and then fighting for your life like poor Detective Sergeant Nick Bailey. But nowhere's safe. But largely, when we go out for a meal or go for a walk in the park or set off for work in the morning, we feel pretty safe. We don't think anything's going to happen to us. On the whole, day by day, by walking around, we think everything's okay. Peace and safety, verse 3. Providing I don't go to watch England play in the World Cup in Russia, I'll be fine. 21st century Britain feels safe and peaceful. And I'm not knocking that, by the way. I am very pleased that we live in a nation that is not ravaged by war. But, verse 3, while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labour pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Here's our second picture, from the thief in the night to the pregnant woman in labour. Now, of course, being a thoroughly modern father, I've been to antenatal classes And so on both occasions when Caroline was pregnant, I knew there would come a time when the contractions would start. 
and I was well versed in all the things we would need to have uh, in place for that moment. We knew it was coming. The antenatal classes prepared us for it. But not once through Caroline's pregnancies, not once did any health professional give us a precise date and time when the labour pains would begin. Of course they didn't, because no one knows. That's the point. And as any mother uh, here will tell you, when they do come, they are sudden, and the pain is immense. I know the pain. I was there in the room as Caroline gave birth, and the pain was terrible. She gripped my hand, and it really hurt. It was terrible. Sorry, I've just lost a lot of women uh, following me now. Now, again, we mustn't push the illustration too far. The point here is that while we don't know the time or the hour of Jesus' return, we should know to be ready for it. And we should know that when it does come, it will be sudden and painful. So get ready, just as a pregnant woman will get ready. Have a bag packed. Know your route to the hospital. Hospital. Be familiar with the breathing exercises and your birthing plan. You know it's coming, so get ready for it. Indeed, failing to be ready for Jesus' return is like a 36-week pregnant woman refusing to believe that she will experience a sudden onslaught of labour pains in the next few weeks. That would be ridiculous. Ridiculous. And that is how it is for anyone who's not ready for the return of Christ. It is ridiculous not to be ready. Interesting, isn't it? If we talk about being ready for the return of Christ, people think we're a bit cuckoo. But the Bible turns it up and says, if you're carrying on your life as if Jesus was never going to return, then you are very unwise. If you're listening to people saying it's all okay, even the most eminent scientists, it's foolish to think that way. So look, uh, if I may, if you're not a committed follower of Jesus this morning, thank you for being here, especially this morning through the snow. But may I gently and yet firmly urge you not to bury your head in the sand, not to think everything's okay, not to get up every morning thinking that your life is safe because everything seems peaceful. Please will you at least look into whether these things might be possible because the thought of verse 3, destruction coming upon you suddenly is a terrible thing. And I, and I have to say, for me at the moment, it is an unbearable thought. Not least of all, because Tuesday night I sat with a dear relative who was dying, and then Wednesday morning I arrived just minutes after she had died, and Caroline and I don't really know whether she was a Christian or not, and so we feel it acutely today. Don't put off looking into these things. Don't be taken by surprise. By death or by Jesus' return. That's verse 3. And verse 4 says, Christians certainly shouldn't be taken by surprise by the return of Jesus because, verse 4, Christians are not in darkness, so this day should surprise you like a thief. Now, we may not know the exact time, but we do know that Jesus is coming. As thieves come at night, striking under the cover of darkness, Christians, verse 4, are not in the dark. Jesus hasn't left us in the dark. He has told us he's going to return. So Paul takes us back now to the image of the thief in the night. And while I don't know when the thief will come, I know there are thieves out there. And so every day, yes, every day, I live as if we are likely to be burgled. Every day I check the doors and the windows are locked. Every night without fail before going to bed, I go around the house checking the doors putting the safety chains on and setting the alarm as I go upstairs to bed. I don't know if tonight will be the night. 
Uh, but I do know that there are thieves out there, and so I lock the doors and put the alarm on. So it should be in the Christian life. We're not in the dark when it comes to Jesus' return. We know he will come back. And so, not in the dark. Uh, we shouldn't live as if we were in the dark either. See, that's verse five. You're all sons of the light and sons of the day. He's talking to Christians. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. You see, that's the equivalent of putting the chains on and, and setting the alarm and making sure the doors are locked every night. Be alert and self-controlled. And look, we've already engaged with the language of self-control in this letter. Remember two weeks ago in the first half of chapter four, we were urged to be self-controlled when it comes to sex. That was chapter four, verse four. And the reason we were urged to be self-controlled when it comes to sex is so that we, we will be holy and blameless on the day of Christ. That was Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians in chapter three, verse 13. Indeed, turn back with me, if you will, for it and see how this flows now through the letter. Chapter three, verse 13. May God strengthen your hearts so you'll be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus Christ comes with all his holy ones. See, it's a prayer that when Jesus returns, we'll be blameless and holy. It's no more complex than that. And so, next thing Paul writes, chapter four, Paul told the Thessalonians to be holy, not least of all when it comes to sex, and to do that means being self-controlled, chapter four, verse four. And so, now, chapter five, verse six, let us not be like others who are asleep, but be alert and self-controlled. And uh, he says it again uh, later on in our passage as well. Be self-controlled. When Jesus returns, do you want to be sexually compromised? Having an affair when Jesus returns? Caught up in an addiction to pornography when Jesus returns? When Jesus returns, do you want to be found either literally or metaphorically with your trousers down? I know I don't. Well, be self-controlled. You are sons and daughters of the light, verse five. Those are things of the darkness, have nothing to do with them. Verse five, we don't belong to the night or the darkness. So verse six, don't be like others who are asleep, but be alert and self Do You see what he's saying here? See, when, it's when we're asleep physically at night that we're most likely to be caught out by a thief in the night. It's when we're asleep spiritually, when we don't exercise self-control, uh, that we are most likely to be about the things of the darkness. That's verse seven. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. Now, once again, don't push the illustration too far. You've got to make sure you don't do this all the way through the Bible, really, but certainly with this passage, all these illustrations, push them too far, they don't work. Of course, people sleep in the daytime sometimes. I am looking forward to the day when I can take an afternoon nap every day. It sounds like a lovely thing to do. We know that some people sleep in the daytime, but on the whole, we sleep at night. That's the point. And we know that some people get drunk during the daytime, but largely we sleep at night, and when people get drunk, it's a nighttime thing, going to the pub and staggering home in the wee small hours. So do you see what's going on here? Nighttime darkness is when we're oblivious to reality. 
either because you're fast asleep in the land of Nod or you're getting hammered. Either way, you're out of it. You don't have a clue what's going on around you. Fast asleep, oblivious to reality, drunk trying to escape reality. And what is true physically is true spiritually if we're in the dark. If we don't know about or don't believe that Jesus is going to return, then we won't be ready for him. We'll be sleeping spiritually, walking through life oblivious to the reality of Jesus' return, thinking that everything's okay, saying, verse 3, peace and safety. That's a dream world. Everything is not okay. We are in great danger if we haven't considered and then prepared for Jesus' return. So you see, some are asleep to that reality and they go about their lives avoiding reality. And uh, some others are trying to just avoid the reality by sort of doing other things. The example here is getting drunk. Of course, it doesn't have to be drink. People fill their lives with all sorts of things to dull the pain of reality. Living their lives with things that only Jesus can fill. Living materialistic lives or hedonistic lives or this week, may I say, scientific lives, by which I mean refusing to believe that Jesus is going to return because science says there is no God and therefore living without him. But that is no way for the Christian to live, verse 8. Since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Put your armor on, says Paul. We're in a battle, a spiritual battle for our souls. So Christian, don't walk into every day thinking peace and safety. Get up each day thinking, I am going into a war zone today. Satan wants to take me down. Satan doesn't want me to keep going with Christ. The evil one does not want me to live in the light of Christ's return. He doesn't want me to be holy and blameless now and ready for that day when Jesus comes back. So every day, verse 8, put put on faith, love and hope. What does that mean? Faith in Jesus' death and resurrection, keep trusting him. Love for Jesus, keep him as the one you delight in most of all. And hope in Jesus' return, keeping looking forward to the day when Jesus will wrap up history as we know it. And the return of Christ is something that has struck me through these studies in this letter. The Thessalonian Christians were defined by their looking forward to Jesus' return. Do you remember chapter 1 verse 10? They were known as people waiting for God's Son from heaven. And as I've said before, at the end of every chapter in this book, uh, the return of Christ is mentioned. I've really been struck by that and frankly challenged by it because I don't think that is a feature of my life and I don't think it's something that most 21st century British Christians think about very often, the return of Christ. But it is that hope, the hope that Jesus is coming back and with it, the end, at the, if you look at the end of verse 8, the hope of salvation... It is that hope that keeps us going in the Christian life. Even when it's really tough, even when we're facing severe suffering for being a Christian as the Thessalonians were. It's the hope of Jesus' return and being with him, the one we love that will keep us going whatever we're struggling with. It's the hope, that hope, that will keep us struggling and battling to live a holy and blameless life knowing that one day that struggle will be over.
Because, verse 9, God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, if we remain as Christians to the end, then we'll enjoy peace and safety because God's wrath will not come upon us. See, these uh, last couple of verses tells us that, Christ, uh, that, that, uh, that God is on our side if we're Christians. Look at verse nine. God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. That brilliant, that last phrase. Whether we've already died, that is a sleeping Christ, or whether we're still alive as Christians, awake, we can look forward to a day when we'll live together with Jesus. Therefore, verse 11, encourage one another, build each other up, just as in fact you're doing. Well, let's do just that. Let's keep each other going, urging each other to live the Christian life, not getting sucked into the darkness, but living as children of the light, which is what we are. Let's do that in the light of Jesus' return, having great confidence then that we will see our loved ones again, those who've died as Christians. With them, we will, end of verse 10, live together with Jesus one day. What a day that will be being reunited with Christians we love, but far more importantly, being finally and fully with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Let's pray together. Encourage one another and build each other up. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us all the information we need, knowing that the Lord Jesus is going to return one day. And we pray that in the light of that truth, we would live as children of the light. We would live as people who are looking forward to Jesus' return, ready for it every day. Please help us to spur each other on, to encourage each other, to build each other up in living as we should, that when Jesus finally returns, we'll be eager for him to come and ready. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.